This is CliffCentral.com. A warm welcome to Global Leadership Platform, our leadership masterclass, multiplying leaders, moving society. That's what it's all about. I'm Adrian Grunewald, the old man not with me today. Of course, our website, leadershipplatform.com, one word, two Ps in the middle. I'm excited about today's conversation. Uh, I've seen this leader from a distance do many things, and today he's going to share some of his thoughts and feelings about leadership and running an organization in very difficult times. Uh, I've got Dr. Euron Ferndale, CEO of JET at the moment in the EDCON group with me. We're sitting in one of his rooms at his offices. Euron, it's wonderful to be with you. How are you? I'm very happy to be here. Thank you very much for the invite. Um, we're excited to have you talk about leadership and your views on leadership. I mean, you've had a, a long career, uh, very much filled with uh, glory days and tough days and everything. Uh, so, so we're excited about the next 40 minutes or so, and we appreciate your time. You seem to have a, a unique career. It's not obviously hugely unique, but I like the blend of you studied academically very, very effectively all the way to the highest level, if I can call it that. You've uh, served in leadership positions in the HR field to the highest level of some one of the biggest companies in the country, at least. Um, you now also have served as a CEO of large business for, for a long time. Um, I mean, incredible blend. Now, before we go to how that forms your leadership thinking, I'm interested in your background. Just very quickly, where did you grow up? What did you study? How did you end up with PhD? Let's just get that out of the way, but it's, it, it, it is very important. Oh, well, I think... Uh I most probably landed by default uh, into the academic world uh, because I grew up in a small little town, Net in the Eastern Cape, uh, where my father was a carpenter, a little small businessman, contractor type of person. And, uh, and I only had a shop uh, in Net, and we also had a bit of, sold a bit of vegetables and fruits and stuff like that, uh, you know, and walking it's like outside of uh, town. As you actually go into town, if you know Ravrinet, as you go into town, you've got actually the, in those days, they actually had the black areas on the one side and everyone must walk th- down through town. And every Saturday I was there selling, you know, potatoes and all sorts of other things. So, and I love that stuff. And every day after school, I was actually in the shop. Oh. So that's where my retail interest started. So it was quite clear uh, to my father, certainly to me, that that's what I want to do, and I'm not going anywhere. So uh, he cut that short very, very quickly uh, by Senate 9 at the time or so, and he said, you're going to go and study. And I said, no, I'm not going to study. He said, well, you will, because I'm closing the shop. Uh, so, uh, so you were you were happy to just keep selling and being in the business? Yeah, because I I love that stuff, and because uh, every Saturday I was selling stuff. Sundays I went to farm selling my stuff, coming back with uh, bringing wine bottles back. Uh, if people can't pay me with money, I just take the wine bottles and sell the wine bottles type of thing. So, uh, so I enjoyed that stuff, and you know, you're young and you enjoy it, and you've got a bit of money as well. So I would certainly had no intention to go and study. So, so I think it's also a bit of a message, I suppose, in terms of, especially for that generation, in terms of how important education was, because he didn't have the education, uh, that he was prepared to, our lifeline in terms of our family, he was prepared to close that shop 
to get me to go to university. So, well, I didn't have then, I couldn't do that. So I just went to university and just studied and I didn't really know what it, I wanted to do because I didn't intend to go to university. So uh, I did my first degree there and luckily I got, a, I did always well at school. And I, luckily I got a, a, a bursary from the UN Sciences Research Council so uh, to do a, a degree in, in psychology and, and sociology and so on. So I did very well. I passed it cum laude. And uh, they asked me to continue to do my honours degree in industrial psychology, uh, which I did. Uh, and, uh, the, uh, and then I came, because the, they gave me a bursary, I actually came back to, to Pretoria to, to work for them and uh, started immediately with my, my master's. I, start, I must be honest, I started to enjoy the... The, the field. And the, yeah, the, the field and also the, the, uh, the academics was actually mm. in, more interesting than I thought. It was not as interesting in selling stuff, but uh, the, uh, every vocation I actually worked, did some surveys, you know, um, because that's what they do. They do socioeconomic surveys and all sorts of other things, so I enjoyed doing those things, yeah. every vocation, so I was working every vocation. And then I completed my master's degree uh, in, in industrial, uh, industrial psychology. psychology, and uh, I registered as an as industrial psychologist and still registered today. Uh, not so sure why, but uh, maybe it's my back door, or, because my uh, daughters normally say I will. I'm not a good psychologist. I will. I'll, I'll drive people to suicide if I need to counsel them. Uh, so, because I've never practiced, uh, and then I also started to do my uh, my doctorate. Uh, you know, and also in in human resources, industrial. Uh, what was the thing? What did you do your doctorate? Uh, well, it was in the mid uh, '80s. Uh, oh, difficult no, time. Uh, no. The early no, this actually in the early nineties and so on. So, uh, and I actually looked at because with all the changes in South Africa, uh, I looked at the the role of trade unions uh, in terms of politics. Uh, so, and that was quite interesting because I think there was a lot of uh, uh, things happening in, in South Africa at the time in terms of pol- politics and so on. So. I did an empirical investigation in terms of the role of unions, and quite a, one of my findings was that they actually have to play a political role based on the current circumstances uh, that we actually had in the, in the country. And that sounds right. Uh, yeah. yeah, it came out quite 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 well. So, uh, so I, I finished that, and then I actually started to work at the Human Science and Research Council. Uh, it was clearly not for me. I didn't think I was a researcher, so I did a couple of reports and stuff like that, but was not really what I wanted to do. So then I got offered a personnel officer position at the old ESCO at the time, uh, which I sort of enjoyed because it gave me the more exposure in terms of what I was trained for. And then I also had my first exposure to industrial relations, which I uh, liked based on my studies. I wanted to get involved with the union, so I was part of the uh, the teams there that negotiated with the unions, which was great experience. Uh, and then after that, I actually left to South African breweries. Actually, the person that okay. worked with me at at Human Sciences Research Council, he headed up, he headed it up the, or he moved to South African breweries as the head, the consulting psychologist there. Uh, and uh, he recruited me to say, okay, uh, for, there's a, an assignment for equal opportunity manager or something like that. 
And that was also in the beginning of employment equity and equal opportunities and all of that. So it was quite actually interesting. And breweries, as you know, was at the forefront of uh, Always, yeah. of employment equity and equal opportunities. So I, I worked there for about three years or so, and I really enjoyed that. Learned a lot about what best practices in terms of performance management and all of those those type it's of It's a good environment to be in uh, to learn best practices, yeah. I would say. Uh, and certainly yeah. um, with employment equity. And then I actually spent about five years at uh, at the at parastate or transnet, one of the divisions, okay. uh, the parcel express division. Uh, but there was a general manager for for HR for the entire division, about 10,000 people or so. And they actually cut my teeth into union negotiations because all the different divisions manage the unions mm. differently and also multiple unions because there were like 34 different unions and I actually uh, really enjoyed that uh, Did you ever run into Vic van Vieren? Yes, Vic van Vieren recruited me okay. <laughs> so, I know well. so uh, yeah, yeah, that's how the world works He was in the negotiations, very involved yeah. you know, at, the, at the height of his career Yeah, yeah no, he recruited me actually to, uh, to Transnet at the time and then after that, uh, after the, about five years, I thought it was time to move on, and uh, then I moved to Edcom, and uh, the uh, that was uh, uh, the was a very interesting move for me. Uh, and I think when I spoke with Steve Ross at the time uh, about the assignment, he actually I, or I asked he asked me what do I want, what is my expectations if I do to take up the assignment. Uh, I said, well, I want a line manager, a CEO that's really serious about people, because everyone says they're serious. Mm. And he asked me, what must he do to prove to me that he's serious about people management? I said, well, put 40% of the goals of uh, the uh, of the staff and line managers on people. And he said, why don't you do 50? Uh, so, and I thought, no, this must be the right place to be, because 50% of line managers' goals will be on people unemployment equity training and all of those type of things so I I was really I think I always said I'm on record to say I was the luckiest uh, HR director uh, most probably in South Africa because I had a very supportive CEO that actually believed in HR uh, things and my job at the time was to get the company to become an employer of choice and we actually achieved that within three years we were the leading uh, the best company to work for in retail and in the top 20 uh, best companies to work for in South Africa so we, we maintained that over the over the next period of time until 2007 when uh, Bain actually then moved in and at that time I thought it's time to do other things uh, and uh, and I was always very much interested in the business. Uh, yeah. I, I believe that I should be a business partner. As a business partner, you need to understand the numbers, etc. So, and Steve uh, at the time and the other people could see that I had that interest. So, they actually said, well, try operations, run operations. You centralized because we centralized at the time all the, op- the HR uh, fraternities, you know, from CNA and... Yeah. And, and Edgar's etc. Chit. So we centralised the operations function, and they've asked me to run that. So that was quite interesting because mm. now I'm in the core of the business, I'm basically selling the stuff. Uh, back to your and, roots. Uh, yeah, back to my roots. Uh, and uh, and that uh, was I went on for about three or four years, and then there was a change in structure again, and. Uh, they gave me HR back as well, in addition to to op- operations, and they actually gave me uh, property. So, uh, so I became chief operating officer at the time. Okay. Uh, 
and that I enjoyed as well. And then Bernie actually joined uh, uh, later from, from Australia. He believed that we should decentralize things rather than centralize things. So we actually gave operations and all of those things back to the business. So I then uh, was offered looking after uh, the loyalty program, looking after Africa, looking after uh, you know uh, e-commerce, etc., which is also new and different. Uh, and I learned a lot about that. It was only about a year in that assignment, then the jet assignment came up, mm. and uh, I thought I can consolidate all of my experiences in running a, a full-fledged P&L now. Yeah. And that's how I landed up where I am now. It's a I, very I'm, interesting, long, long, I'm, long I'm career. Fascinated, starting with selling potatoes and a small little retail store, uh, you know, in, in a small town, to ending up studying academically all the way to PhD, to a, a strong HR background, and then strong line leadership. I mean, all that together has to form your leadership philosophy and approach. And that's why I'm interested in what your thoughts are on the kind of leaders we need in today's corporate environment. Uh, I'm guessing there's a strong people element. I mean, all leaders say that. Um, some live it, some don't. But your philosophy I think, was formed by all of this. Yeah, and I think the, my philosophy now today is largely influenced by actually what worked for us in the 2000s uh, when we were a very successful uh, company. And that's essentially started with a, a values-based leadership, values-based uh, company. Uh, and, uh, and that we pushed very hard then. Uh, and now that we're actually getting out of all the troubles that we actually have uh, financially, uh, we've actually started uh, as a company to relaunch the values. And that's how we're actually going to drive the company to actually fundamentally change the, the culture uh, of, the, of the company. And uh, so I, I, I believe very firmly uh, that you need to have sound values in a company and it shouldn't just be something that's on a, on a little board somewhere. People must believe in, the, in it and they must know it. And then more importantly, they need to understand what is the behavior supporting those, uh, those, uh, those, uh, those values. And then something that I've toyed with for, for many years, uh, even when I was in HR and it was not that fashionable then, it looks like more and more people starting to talk about that now, is the whole, the whole approach on, on concept of servant leadership. And again, it's one of those cliche uh, words that people actually use. And, uh, but again, we're trying, we've tried to, and, and busy trying to, to implement that. And the essence of that is that, you know, as a, as a leader, you actually need to actually have the ability to serve. You need to have the desire to serve. Uh, and, and I think that's not a, a typically the way that leaders think about themselves. You know, some, some say that, but, but they just can't really behave that yeah. way. Just... And, and even, you're right, and I think typically, and I don't think we perfect, I think we <laughs> most probably 30% there, but I think the point is we, we're mm. working on that, and that's a philosophy that we're communicating to, to our staff. So we and, and every single conference, and I've got every a quarterly conference uh, now, and even in my previous uh, job, I talk with all the store managers and the managers about leadership, about servant leadership, etc. Where they know very clearly that on top of the pyramid is actually not the CEO, it's mm. actually the customer, and the second most important people after the customer is actually our sales associates, 
I'm here right in the bottom. My job is to support my direct reports, uh, to roll obstacles out of their ways uh, to, and, and help them to perform better. So every management level should support the next management, uh, management level. In theory, it looks uh, as if it's difficult, but it's a mindset issue. People actually just need to get their mind around it. That doesn't mean that you're disempowering yourself. You still have, have, have power because you, you own the strategy of the, of the business. But in the final analysis, uh, uh, you, you need to serve. Uh, you need to actually have an attitude of serving. Uh, and, uh, and that is uh, it's, it's, it's very hard. It was very hard for me because when I started my HR journey, I must be honest, uh, 20 years ago, yeah, I thought I know it all, all the theoretical knowledge. Uh, and uh, I had competent people around me, but, you know, I thought I know how to write what, how to, to write a performance management system, and I just wrote the system, but I've got an OD manager get, that can mm. write it. So you, you, you learn through, through years that uh, you should actually uh, empower people to to do what what they're supposed to to do, and uh, but it sometimes comes with age. You know, I was very young when I completed my doctorate, and when I was in uh, in a, the most senior position here, and uh, and and I think it's important that sometimes, hopefully, and that's what I'm trying to achieve with with uh, with my people is uh, especially the young ones don't make all the mistakes that I've made and only yeah. ten years later realize, but actually. I should utilize my people, people better. I should actually empower them. I should actually serve them, etc. In some ways, if you can get them at your young age that you were to see it in some, to some degree how you see it now, then you're very successful as a leader. Yeah. Because then they build from there. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's part of the mission that I have at, at this stage in terms of what I want to achieve in my current assignment is to actually people to cross the concept of, of, uh, of, of, of servant leadership Grasp the fact that we should focus on the customer and actually work back from uh, from there. Uh, so, so for instance, if you just look at one of our values, is, 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 and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about values, is empowerment. But we have empowered our staff, as sales associate, to do whatever they need to do to keep the customer happy. We will what whatever it costs, as long as the customer is happy and you've done something out of the ordinary and it's costing the company money, you will not be fired for, for that because the customer is the most important person uh, and it's the reason why we're in business. Now, people previously didn't have that type of authority. They actually, yeah. uh, you know, would apologize. They would, uh, they will not give the person a voucher or take the thing back because the rules say you can't bring certain things back. We said we want the customer to walk out there happy. So it doesn't matter what the rules say. Do whatever is necessary to, to make the customer uh, happy. Practically, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, just a decree out there that says you've got all the power to make the customer happy doesn't just make everyone put their hands up and say yay and then they do it. Mm. I mean, you've got to change your whole mindset. Yeah, no, people yeah. actually don't. They don't they, do it. They don't. Uh, they mm. don't do it. Uh, no. the, uh, uh, and and I think it's it's even uh, uh, hard for us at senior management levels uh, the, to 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 do that because of. Uh, also the different, especially in the last 10 years where we were mm. tight with, with money and all sorts of, 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 of other things. And, uh, and, and then we were also very admin driven uh, for a long period of time. And uh, 
it's actually funny that you actually talk about the mindset stuff. And in our group CEO the other day, we had a meeting, and uh, he said uh, an, to my, both me and Mike, Mike is the chief executive of Edgar's, because we were battling to get some of things things signed off in terms of following the processes to get to, uh, to make our store smaller and put up walls and so on. And he said. Stop with your slave mentality. You see, is just do it. Uh, if it's the right thing for the business, just do it. Uh, and I think that's. Uh, but the point is, you so used to to uh, your, the, a different environment that you you, you 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 almost the shackles is off, but you 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 still uh, operate as if the shackles are on. It's because we're enslaved to structures and procedures and processes. We become a slave to that rather yeah. than the motivation of the business. Exactly. And, and do what's right for the business. Yeah. I, I want us to, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch more on the values in a moment because I, I wanted us to look at practically how you implement some of these values and, and you're already there. But can we quickly stop unpacking or, or, or complete the unpacking of what a great and authentic leader is? So, so you've brought out some important points, values driven. So if you had to say to me, a, a great and authentic leader needed in today's world would have to be values driven. So values in my own life but in my business. Servant, I'm a servant, I serve you, not you serve me. And if we can get every supervisor, every person who, who, who's um, promoted to a first supervisory position to make that decision there that I'm not going to be served now, I'm serving, we would, make, we would do a, a good service to society. So servant leadership. What else would you put on top of that foundation of what a great and authentic leader is like? And should I think maybe we should look at what some of the the, the uh, characteristics of a of a servant leader, mm. because typically, if you're a servant leader, then you're less obsessed about yourself. You're actually there to ensure that the the people that actually work for you, are that their potential is actually potentialized. So you actually ensure that they uh, properly trained. You actually make sure that they actually achieve the best that's uh, that, that they can be uh, as uh, as individuals. The my view is uh, a good servant leader, and I think that's something that you will mostly hear all the time for general leaders is to listen. Uh, I find it often when I was in operations that uh, because I I went to almost all our stores, if you in stores, uh, the we. People listen to every word that you say, uh, and we don't understand sometimes the impact that we have as senior leaders on people lower down in the organisation. We, we, people really put us on a pedestal. They think that we, you know, we more than we, human. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and if if and they can quickly sense when you don't, you, you're in a rush. You actually don't properly make eye contact. They talk, but you thinking of looking at something else, etc. And but if you make the time to listen uh, and to uh, really listen to them, uh, and when you actually go out of that store and uh, and promise them that they will actually get the stock that they actually requested in a certain size, and the next thing it does happen, you actually just build respect as well as a leader. Mm-hmm. You actually not just there to quickly come and criticize the store. You actually there to you listen. Intentively to to what what they uh, what they re- re- require, uh, so I think that's that's important. Uh, I you know uh, 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 you you need to uh, as a leader you need to be able to persuade people based on your logic uh, and, and the rational reasoning. And now if you 
a normal autocratic leader, you will actually use your power to actually persuade people. Uh, but if you use your logic uh, to mm. persuade people, then uh, there's more buy-in, uh, and uh, you can and try to actually get consensus uh, as well. And I'm not saying we should run a company based on uh, consensus seeking, mm. uh, but uh, it's uh, because in the end you the you the you need to make a decision. Uh, but I think it's always good to actually ask people what do they think, how would they have done it, mm. uh, uh, and then if there's no consensus or there's uh, there's broad improvement from, from everyone, uh, then you make the call. But then at least everyone felt that they've uh, they've 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 participated. So okay. the difference between a autocratic leader and a servant leader is the one uh, he accumulates power and make power uh, and, and exercise that power, whilst your your servant leader will actually share his power uh, with yeah. with the with with the people around him. So uh, so I think there's there's many ways of of. Of, of 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 just having but be more uh, humility to to you, you don't have to be and I think that's what people sometimes see if you look at in politics and in business sometimes they see people that's very successful but they're autocratic they uh, yeah. they they rough and tough and all of that and they and sometimes they try to emulate that because people got in these positions with mm. you know with that type of management style. My personal view is that it's not sustainable. There's there's millions and millions of, 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 of you know books and literature and of companies where you you don't have to be uh, autocratic to actually achieve the best out of out of your people. And and I also I, I, so a, a good leader will actually focus on on, on culture and that's. Uh, mm. Uh, and I think the, there's an article that's most probably that most people have read by now that's been published a long time by the, uh, the uh, Harvard Business Review is that culture eats, eats strategy for breakfast, dinner, and lunch. Yeah, that's gone far, uh, that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's so true. Uh, we're very good as leaders to actually get the strategy in place and all the action plans to execute uh, that strategy. But we actually don't spend enough time on the culture. Uh, because that's where we actually then fail as, as, a, as, a, as a company because the culture is not conducive to implementing the strategy and, and all of those action plans, then we will fail. So that's 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 an important thing for, for leaders to understand. So, so let me get a little bit philosophically. It's interesting. You mentioned the leaders are servant leaders, which is other-focused. And, and now I want to throw that on its head and say it's difficult for me to be other-focused when I'm not honestly internally confident in myself. If I don't have authentic confidence inside here, then I won't be other focused. I'll always be me focused because it's about me and so on. So that internal strength, authenticity is very important to be able to focus on others. And it's the same with a business, isn't it? If my internal personality, if my internal strength, my culture isn't in place, it's difficult to succeed at the strategy externally. So it's always a, it's that internal health uh, impacting externally. It's the same. A business is like a person. It's like a personality, isn't it? So the same model. So internal confidence, external execution, external action, other focused. I can focus on my client because I don't have all the nonsense inside my business. My culture is healthy. The business is performing. I can focus on the client. Um, but if it's not and it's just hell behind me and it's just pain and it's debt and it's just problems behind me, then how can I be culture fo- uh, um, customer focused? 
uh, when I'm unhealthy behind me uh, inside the business. And it's the same with me personally as a leader. Uh, same with an organization. Does it make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, I think the, and that's why I think as a leader, uh, you need to focus on, on culture. Uh, and, uh, and, and the way that I focus on culture uh, as a leader is, is through my values uh, and that we that we implementing in our organization. And you're totally right. I think we need to focus on, on the individual uh, mm. as, as well and build the, their confidence. And certainly, I think in terms of the journey of ITCON, as you as you know, it's been a very tough journey over the last ten years. And as leaders, you need to ensure that uh, you you keep people resilient, uh, and you need to actually uh, come across as confident. You need to uh, come across that you actually believe in the plan. You need to actually celebrate the small successes uh, that that's there. To actually just keep people resilient. Otherwise, if you the, the people work hard and you don't see the results, you know it, it's very demotivating. Uh, and uh, so we need to actually get get them to actually get up every morning and believe that things will change. Uh, and and I think that's not unique to our company. I think that's what many companies are experiencing right now in uh, in uh, in South Africa and all over the world. I mean, the economy is tough, uh, and it's and it's hard to to motivate. Uh, people and to see the big picture and, and believe in that. I think the other area that I, I sort of alluded to that before, uh, it, but it's getting back to culture, is I, I believe that uh, leaders sh- should be able to inspire uh, people. You know, I know the, the, uh, there's different views about some leaders, you know, the, the charismatic type and, where you, and the inspirational type, etc. Uh, and uh, but I do believe, from a, if you want to build a good culture, you need to be able to to, to inspire people to uh, to a common goal. You need, need to, they, they they need to feel passionate about what they actually need to do, and that, that comes from the top. If if you're not uh, positive and enthusiastic about what we need to achieve, and yeah. and you're not inspirational, you're not going to get the staff to to really believe in in, in that goal. Yeah. Uh, that you've actually what you want to achieve for the for the business. Euron, your values are great. You say focused, unconventional, trusted, united, respected, empowered. Those are great values. Six of them. Um, they align with the Edcon values. Yeah. And, and but this is more particular to 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 Jet. I want us to take one of these, and then you give me a practical way that uh, a sales associate, you call him on the floor would live it because that's always the challenge is as a leader I go and I talk to them about the values and, and just now you, you alluded to the fact that you want them to capture the reality of these values like empowerment um, so just give me grab one and, and give me a practical example of, of what you want so let's use unconventional as an example uh, the, the we have communicated uh, to all of our staff, you know, through conferences, and we've cascaded it down. We gave them all the little things that we normally do, to uh, uh, little booklets and little things that they can actually have in terms of explaining what unconventional and uh, trusted actually means. So the theory yeah, is behind. Yeah, yeah. So what we now are busy with, and this is the same pro- the same process that we've used, you know, ten years ago. That's why I'm following the same process, is that we're actually building now the behaviours 
linked to these values. We've given them sort of a, a broad brush approach of what these behaviors are, and it's not coming from us only because we had some unions involved, some low-level staff involved to actually come up with these values and also with the, the, the initial uh, descriptors of those, those values. Yeah. So in stores now, people know that we want to be we can't just do things like we're doing it normally. We need to be unconventional in the way that we actually do things. So typically, if if a customer uh, is not happy with the size of uh, or can't find her size, now in the old days people will say, "Well, I don't have it," mm. uh, and this person will actually then go out of his way to say, "Well, I'll actually go and find that 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 shirt somewhere else, and I will actually go and drop it off at your home." wherever, just give me your address. You do things in an unconventional, in a different way. That's the only way to differentiate ourselves from the, from the competitors. Now, the way that we actually then communicate all of this to, the, to everyone is that we actually have a nominations committee uh, consisting out of sales associates and management, etc., that uh, on a monthly basis, people can actually nominate people in terms of those uh, six values, uh, where they must clearly say why they nominate these people okay. uh, and what behaviors have people, uh, 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 what the behaviors have, have this specific individual actually uh, exposed and in terms of those values. And then as a committee, we actually select the five best ones uh, per, per value and we publish that and say this is what this person did in this uh, uh, store uh, in terms of empowerment. This is the, the or in terms of, of, of any of the other, other values. So people starting to see what the behaviors are that's actually important in terms of those, those values. Mm. And then on a quarterly basis, we actually select the, 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 the top, uh, in, in terms of the six, the top five out of the monthly nominations okay. in terms of, of values. And then we actually, this year we will actually have then uh, a national award, uh, to our staff in terms of the values because every quarter there are, are winners and, and it's not really about the money for them, it's about the recognition because we will fly them up from wherever they are, recognize them in terms of those, those values. But the important thing here is that we, we're building the, the, uh, the behaviors actually bottom up because people send us what they've actually done and we select that and then we communicate it back to stores so that they know what we mean by these values. So it's alive all the time. Uh, and uh, so it certainly worked for us back in the in, in the 2000s, and there's no reasons why it's not going to work now. And it's, so it's a very simple process, mm. but it keeps it alive. Uh, and people, when you go into stores, they will know the values uh, because we we talk about it all the time. They we on the lookout to to catch people doing good stuff in terms of the of the values. Okay, you're in, as we start winding down, can you believe it? We've got just a few minutes to go. What has changed that's making it more difficult for leaders to lead successfully? Or has nothing changed? No, things have changed dramatically. In fact, things are changing too fast uh, at the moment. We can't keep up. Uh, the, uh, uh, you know, in the old days, uh, 20 years ago, you, we, normally you started as a leader with, you know, your SWOT analysis and, uh, you, reviewed again a year later, uh, you can't do that anymore. Things are changing, changing at such a rapid pace. So you need on a fairly regular basis now, what you've decided as your strategy for the year, you actually need to review it almost on a monthly uh, basis now. It's crazy. Uh, eh? Yeah, because that's how from technology, from, uh, you know, from everything is actually changing. Competition is faster. Consumer uh, behavior, uh, thinking, uh, all that. Mm, 
Yeah, so so it's, it's just, just totally different environments. And then we also have the challenge of the the youngsters, the millennials, uh, that uh, it's, they think completely different. Uh, and we need to have a different value proposition for them. We need to manage them differently. Uh, so I think the environment has become substantially more complex compared to, to, to 20 years ago. Obviously, some things makes it easier for us. The technology makes it easier. It's the cell phones make it, make, makes, makes it easier. Uh, to a certain extent, but on the other end, it also makes it more complex. More complex. Uh, so, but it's, it's, and that's why I actually said in the beginning, you must actually have, to be a leader, you should actually have the desire to be a leader. Uh, you need to be the desire, have the desire to, 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 to serve and not just chase the title, uh, because it's, it's not, it's not as easy as it as it as it, as it looks. Uh, in the past, maybe you can hide the fact that you don't have a desire, and you could mm-hmm. act it out, maybe uh, you know, imitate it. But would you say this highly visible and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Transparent world we live in uh, forces you to be authentic. Yeah, you, you can't act like you enjoy being the leader. You will be caught out. Yeah, that's how it how it works, and, and I think that's why the whole issue around. Culture is so important. Mm-hmm. You, you need to to uh, uh, have a proper culture that's conducive to and uh, to your values that you actually have in the organisation and drive that. Because if you have that good foundation, uh, then the strategy and all of those things will be easier to to, to manage. But you can't you can't fake it, in my view. Uh, it's uh, mm. it, 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 you won't get away with it, uh, unfortunately. Dr. Euron Ferndale, if you had all your managers from JET standing in front of you, which maybe you can't easily do that because you've spread far and wide, but if you had them, but let's extend the audience. You've got managers and leaders from many other retail stores. In fact, banking, you've got a massive audience of young, up-and-coming leaders in front of you. Is it possible for you to give them one quick message? What must they focus on from year on forward? Well, there's so many things that they... Uh, should be doing, and I think that's part of the problem. Is there's just so many things to to do. Does it come back to uh, yourself or not? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, most probably. I think, as I said earlier, I think it's all about what they need to understand themselves as individuals, and they need to have, as I said earlier, that desire to actually be be leaders, authentic leaders, and. And have that desire to actually serve. Uh, and if they don't have that, then they should rather stick to a, a more functional uh, line of, of doing things. Mm. Otherwise, you will never be happy uh, as, a, as a leader if you don't really have a, a real, a, a real a deep desire to, 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 to serve and to, and to be a leader. Uh, and I'm also on record uh, to say in, in other interviews that I've done uh, that in the final analysis, you can get a lot of training from universities and all sorts of other places in terms of how to do things. And there's lots of literature on leadership, etc. But in the final analysis, it's also about using your common sense, uh, using your best judgment, uh, because to deal with people, to make business decisions, etc., sometimes not what the statistics actually tell you uh, or uh, or what the books actually tell you. It's about that gut feel yeah. that 
you know, that this is the right decision to, to, to make. And that comes with, with time and, and, and with experience. And interesting, my, my experience is the more confidence you have, authentic confidence, the more you trust your gut. Mm. Uh, the less you have of that, the more you, you just won't go with your gut. Mm. That's Dr. Juren Ferndale, CEO of JET, leading in a very difficult time, at a very difficult time, but there's a lot of hope and certainly seem to be on the right track. Um, it's been a privilege sitting with you and discussing leadership. Wish we had more time. Maybe we can make another conversation, have another conversation in the near future. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, just making yourself vulnerable and sharing some, some very interesting wisdom uh, over many years of a very broad and expansive career. We appreciate it. It was my pleasure, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. That's Dr. Juren Ferndal, as I said. Thank you for joining us for this week's Global Leadership Platform Leadership Masterclass. All the best. This is CliffCentral.com.